is really interesting when you get into studying things from the ancient world, like philosophy and writings and stuff like older religious writings, is understanding that there's some fundamental ways that we think about thinking, right? That The ways mm. that we think about our brains and how they work, that we kind of take for granted as just like, this is just a universal truth about it. Like this whole separation between like your rational brain and your emotional brain or something that like you pointed out, Em, they didn't make that distinction. Like it, it, passion it all was kind of together. one that runs away, but like emotions and rationality were all one thing. And, and actually there's a lot of science to back up that their view is actually the more accurate one <laughs> than our mm. current modern day view of those two things being separate. So anyway, just, I, I just find stuff like that really fascinating to realize that like you could take the words they've said and apply it to modern day and it sounds like well that's bullshit but it's like they didn't think of it the same way at like the fundamental level welcome to the multi-amory podcast i'm jace i'm emily and i'm dedeker we believe in looking to the future of relationships not maintaining the status quo of the past so whether you're monogamous polyamorous swinging casually dating or if you just do relationships differently we see you and we're here for you On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're taking a dive into stoicism and how its principles can be applied to relationships and daily life. So put your philosophy hat on, people, because it's about to get all Marcus Aurelius up in here. Woo! (laughs) There you go. That's the reaction we needed. Now, so today we're going to be talking about some common issues that people face in relationships, and how applying some principles from Stoicism, like stepping back from those problems and looking at them from a bird's eye view, can help us to tackle these issues more objectively. And then we're also going to go into some caveats and things to consider about Stoicism, because we love to give you a fair and balanced view on topics. So that's what we're going to do. Isn't fair and balanced view the motto of like Fox yep. News? Yep. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> thanks for, is. Thanks good. for connecting us. Yeah. Thanks for making that link for multi I, I simply just wanted to twist it on its head and be like, multi okay. is going to take this and run with it in a different direction, in a better direction. Mm, gosh. Okay. okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. I like that. There you go. As long as we're not trying to brand like multi-amory the Fox News of the future. Oh, no, no. Yeah. It's funny because my grandmother used to always be like, Fox News is so fair and balanced. And I'm like, (laughs) they just say that they are, but they're not, I promise. (laughs) Yeah. So some context, you know, right now the three of us are doing an anti-racism training, actually. And it's called Theory of Enchantment. We really enjoy it. Look it up if you're into that. But something that's interesting is that it talks a lot about stoicism and the basic tenets of stoicism. Maybe some of you out there have heard of stoicism. It is kind of hot right now. Maybe you have one of the many books or journals that help you practice it. Maybe you've heard some criticism of stoicism or some bad things about stoicism. We're going to be diving into that today. Yeah, I I was really excited to kind of learn more about it from our Theory of Enchantment course. And I went right out and bought, you know, a couple books and a journal and stuff. And something that really resonated with me about it is this idea of the bird's eye view, which is kind of like taking a step back from the minutia and getting into the weeds and your problems and instead like taking a step back away from that and really looking at things from a broader perspective. So, 
when I think about like being a host on this podcast, there's so many things that I've learned from, you know, talking about relationships every single week. But that idea of not getting so caught up in your anger and your emotion in that moment and instead kind of like taking a second has been like a really big lesson for me. And this sort of resonated with me because it felt similar to that. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, I kind of wanted to explore more of that because I feel like taking a step back allows you to have a little bit more empathy and understanding for the people that maybe you're in a tiff with or that you have deep-seated emotional anger about or something like that. And and so, yeah, I was excited to delve into this today. So hopefully y'all out there can learn a little something too. So let's start out by just talking about what's the problem? What are the problems? That we're trying to fix here. Yeah. So many. The, the one singular problem that we're trying to fix on this podcast? Well, let me tell you, it's... Okay, we do have to say it is easy to get into the weeds in a relationship. It's easy to get caught up in little annoyances. It's easy to get fixated on something that a person says. It's easy to stay in patterns of emotional distress over an issue that seems to never get resolved. It's also safe to say that as human beings, most of us, I think, are pretty self-focused and one could argue that we're pretty full of ourselves. And by full of ourselves, that doesn't necessarily mean that we think that we're great all the time. I think it just means that we're very self-focused. That's mm-hmm. just how our brains work, even if we're not necessarily super positive about who we are. And to be self-focused isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means that we tend to cast ourselves as the hero of our personal story and other people are the side characters or potentially the villains you know, the opposite side that we may argue with or direct our frustration and anger towards or have anxiety over for years. I think all of us have something like this in our life. We all have our quote-unquote villains, which may or not necessarily be like you declare a mortal enemy or things like that, but... The ex-boyfriends or whatever. Yeah, the (laughs) ex-boyfriend. It could be one of your parents. It could be a family member. It could be a different political party. It could be a political figure. It could be people that you think embody a particular concept that you disagree with. Like We all have this kind of concept of, I think, the good versus evil and the us who are good versus the bad. Yeah. And then when you think about that in a relationship, if you end up in a situation where you're casting your partner as the villain, which I think a lot of kind of our our media and ways we talk about relationships actually kind of pushes us in this direction of like the the person you always complain about, or they're kind of the source of your grievances, your problems. Like we're kind of encouraged to do this, but it's actually incredibly destructive and you know, does not set you up for a successful relationship. Yeah, I've definitely had those relationships where, you know, I always have like a little teeny bit of anxiety every time I'm around them. And instead of like working together as a team, we tended to like be on the defensive at all times. And it's always like, okay, what what's going to happen when they enter the room or what's going to, you know, occur you know, if they say something or if I say something that sets them off or whatever, you know, but that both mutually were just kind of at odds. And Mm. that I think is one of the more destructive things that can happen in a relationship, but it does tend to happen a lot. Now, 
it is worth keeping in mind that sometimes that ongoing anxiety or that kind of internal voice that's causing strife could be telling you something really important. And maybe this is your mind pointing out to you some kind of a red flag or a warning sign of something potentially serious that maybe you should just leave this relationship. So just, you know, be aware that that might also be the case. This isn't like, oh, everything's solved as soon as you, you know, look at it from a different perspective. Yeah, but there are like little annoyances sometimes or just deep-seated things that, you know, I am pissed because my partner said this thing or did this thing. And I still think about it years later. Mm. I still get upset about it years later, things like that. And so in those moments, I think that it's fair to perhaps look at that with some objectivity. And especially when you're in the middle of an argument or it's an argument that happens over and over again and you get really caught up in the weeds and really like defensive and angry and you're butting heads and there's no like way out of that. I think in those moments doing some of the things that we're going to talk about in this episode, taking a step back can really like allow you to look at the thing with more objectivity. So the question is with all of that though, how the heck are we going to do that? So maybe that's where stoicism is going to come in a bit. (laughs) So let's talk about the philosophy of stoicism a little bit, how it can help us tackle some of the problems that we often face in relationships As with like any topic that we talk about on this show, there are things about stoicism that maybe you will love. There are some things that you're like, yeah, no way. That is not anything that I'm interested in. And that's totally fine. Um, As the philosopher Carrie Jenkins talked about, like having like a potluck for your relationships. And we can also sort of have a potluck for the tools in our relationship toolbox. So take what you like, leave the rest. But we do hope that you find some value in this. All right, so we're going to talk about some stoic terminologies to think about as we go through this episode. And first, what the heck is stoicism? Yes. Well, stoicism was founded in Greece (laughs) by Zeno of Cyprus around 334 to 262 BCE. That's a long time ago. So, (laughs) what it was. Yeah, a really long time ago. (laughs) So, stoicism was a Hellenistic philosophy that advocated for transcending the passions in order to accurately assess oneself and the world. And the name comes from stoa, which is the word for a Greek porch. And that's where Zeno would do his teaching. And so stoicism came from so it's porchism. Porch is what we're porch what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, porchism. I like porchism. that. <laughs> So yeah, so something also that's interesting you'll notice through this episode is that there are a surprising number of similarities to Buddhism and other things that we've talked about on this show more from a Buddhist perspective. And what's interesting is actually both of these philosophies emerged totally separately in different parts of the world, but within a hundred-ish years of each other. So it is really interesting that something was in the air. at that time, that kind of helped this come out. So, okay, according to the Stoics, emotions and pleasure-seeking caused disruptions in the soul, and Stoic enlightenment amounted to achieving complete disinterest and indifference to things like pain, but also joy or love, hope, fear, etc., kind of any emotion. Yeah, and like the passions that we spoke of earlier, they're just 
essentially forms of suffering, and they use that same word that's also in Buddhism, the suffering. Mm, right. So, those are things like distress and fear and lust and also delight. And so, distress and delight are passions that are rooted in the present, and then lust and fear are emotions rooted in the future. Mm. So, you can have things that you're potentially distressed about currently and those things that you're distressed about future-wise. And so, conceptually, Stoicism did migrate from Greece to Rome, and most of the remaining primary historical texts that we have are from the Roman Stoic philosophers. So, Seneca, Epictetus, and Marcus Aurelius, played by Richard Harris in the film <laughs> Gladiator. Oh, yeah! Jeez, that's awesome. I, I'm that. sorry, like, because of that film, whenever anyone mentions Marcus Aurelius, I can only see Richard Harris, but that's fine. That's not a bad association. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, this also leads us to another big foundational concept, which is the concept of sympathia. On the surface, this translates to sympathy. However, the Stoic use of the term refers to specifically understanding the interconnectedness of all things throughout the universe. It's also defined as affinity to parts of the organic whole or mutual interdependence, which again mimics a lot of like Eastern Buddhist philosophy in having this sense of, you know, interconnectedness to all beings. Yeah. And then they also had this concept of good, evil, and indifference. So essentially, their thinking was that rationality, being rational, and reason, they're all into reason, you know how those Greeks were. That leads to virtue, and that was seen as good. And then corruption of reason, so just bad reason, leads to vice, which they saw as evil. And then everything else was just kind of meh. <laughs> Those were the indifference. We're kind of everything else besides that. It's like it's either reason, it's good, not good reason, it's bad. So uh, this is from the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. The virtuous person is not passionless in the sense of being unfeeling like a statue. Rather, he mindfully distinguishes what makes a difference to his happiness, virtue and vice, from what does not. This firm and consistent understanding keeps the ups and downs of his life from spinning into the psychic disturbances or pathologies the Stoics understood passions to be. So, All right. I think yeah. that's, that's like a worthwhile distinction there that for them— passions doesn't just mean the feelings, but maybe could be more obsessive feelings or kind of when when your feelings take over control from you or something like, like that. Like limerence, as we talked bit, about yeah. in our limerence episode. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Like the dark side of the force of feelings. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. So, I want to just talk briefly about emotions versus rationality. And Martha Nussbaum, who's a professor of law and ethics at the University of Chicago, basically highlighted that the Stoics did not make a strong conceptual distinction between emotions and rationality. So, they're just like all sort of part of basic cognition. You can evaluate external events and that evaluation is influenced by your emotional response. And so you can also use reason to analyze those external elements, which is kind of what we're going to talk about a bit, like reason slash just looking at it from a bird's eye view. And then those subsequent emotional responses would presumably disappear. So this is kind of theorizing what would happen if you were able to just sort of be rational about everything. You can be rational about your emotions, you can be rational about all of the stuff that happens to you. 
But I, that's such an interesting distinction to make. It is really interesting when you get into studying things from the ancient world, like philosophy and writings and stuff like older religious writings, is understanding that there's some fundamental ways that we think about thinking, right? That The ways mm. that we think about our brains and how they work, that we kind of take for granted as just like, this is just a universal truth about it, like this whole separation between like your rational brain and your emotional brain or something that like you pointed out, Em, they didn't make that distinction. Like it, passion it all was kind of together. It runs away, but like emotions and rationality were all one thing. And and actually, there's a lot of science to back up that their view is actually the more accurate one than our mm. current modern day view of those two things being separate. So anyway, just I, I just find stuff like that really fascinating to realize that like you could take the words they've said and apply it to modern day, and it sounds like well that's bullshit, but it's like they didn't think of it the same way at like the fundamental level. Yeah, I, I guess on the flip side of that, something that the books that I'm reading talk about a lot is that, like, you can take many of the quotes that the Stoics said and apply it to, like, life today. So they had, like, similar anxieties and similar things going on back then. Hmm. And, you know, the same kind of thing is happening now, thousands of years later, which is cool. It shows that this moment in time isn't that different than what they were going through back then. I just a quick side note, the this person who we're talking about, Martha Nussbaum, wrote a book called Therapy of Desire. And she had an interesting chapter that explains why the Stoics were the first philosophical school that allowed women to study using precisely this rational slash analytical method to deconstruct gender prejudices. Hmm. It's pretty cool I, and surprising, but I love that. Okay. So, we're going to move into this view from above concept of Stoicism. And I'm going to hit you with a quote by Marcus Aurelius. Whoa, Richard, there it is. We're here. Played by Richard Harris, yeah. Richard Harris. This is what he said. Think of substance in its entirety, of which you have the smallest of shares, and of time in its entirety, of which a brief and momentary span has been assigned to you, and of the works of destiny, and how very small your part is in them. Hmm. Yeah, so in essence, you know, the Stoics believed that if you zoomed way out, if you pulled back from yourself in the first person and pulled back to the third person and then even beyond, you just like keep zooming out, 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 you start to see your own interconnectedness to people and things around you. And instead of getting caught up in the weeds of all your own personal problems, you start to get a sense of perspective and you can see your situation and your concerns with maybe a little bit more objectivity. And that ideally, the ability to do this and to zoom out and to see how interconnected you are with everyone else and to kind of see kind of the the small amount of space and the brief amount of time that you get to occupy in this world and in this universe that that would actually lead to having more compassion for the people around you. And that we can move away from this very self-centered way of worrying about our own problems and more to having an understanding and a kindness for the lives and decisions and actions of other people too. So I guess that's been sort of the very brief, like 101 Fair, survey yeah. Pre-101. <laughs> Maybe a 100 know, level, like a... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the 100 Stoicism for non-majors yeah, yeah. class. And 
Of course, when you talk about caveats, right, I think on the one hand, there are caveats around just like with any life philosophy, of course, there's going to be situations where maybe it doesn't seem like it applies perfectly or where we can quite rightfully critique it. With stoicism in particular, just setting aside even critiquing the content, I think for me, definitely, I associate modern day stoicism with just like tech bros, <laughs> honestly. Well, you like know, it, it came about again because of like Tim Ferriss yes. and Ryan Holiday, like talking yes. about it for entrepreneurs. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like this new resurgence. But I think we saw that with like Buddhism and mindfulness and meditation mm. as well, that there's this new resurgence, mostly driven by privileged white people, often divorced from any other roots, ignoring any other similarities to Eastern philosophy, this like very white, very Western focused emphasis, kind of putting Stoicism up on this pedestal which I think is really interesting. I think like we've commented on previous episodes with what we've seen with meditation is that as soon as we're able to take a philosophy or a practice and kind of package it as this is going to make you more productive or this is going to make you more money or this is going to de-stress you so that you can keep going to work, <laughs> you know, anything that takes a much grander life philosophy or practice and packages it into this very, I think, transactional sense. I think like we saw with the tech bros and stoicism of like, this is what's going to make you win at life and win at taking your company to Y Combinator or whatever it is that then it gets, in my opinion, a little bit misused, perhaps, and sometimes even weaponized and diluted. So there's these associations, I think, of stoicism being this very tech bro-y thing. But again, this population of people, they're not the only ones who have ownership of the entire philosophy of stoicism. So we're going to get into more specific studies in the bonus episode, specifically about kind of like the negative effects of stoicism and what they found. It's really interesting that a lot of the psychological studies on, quote, stoicism are pre-gendered and are setting out to try to demonstrate correlations between stoicism, gender, wellness, things like that. And of course, sometimes we get a little bogged down in semantics because certain studies refer to quote-unquote stoicism not necessarily as the philosophy but more as what we think of as colloquial stoicism as in this idea of even if i have pain or intense emotions or hardship i'm just going to not care about it and i'm not going to display any of my emotions or any of my distress you know which is as i think many people could surmise maybe an unhealthier version of applying stoicism to one's life but we're going to cover some of the main criticisms of Stoicism as a philosophy. So, back in ancient Greek times, Stoicism was a little bit different than how it's thought of now. Because now, or at least when the Romans were around, they didn't really believe in, like, your life is predetermined by someone like Zeus, for example. The old ancient Greek philosophy was, okay, like, you essentially have your life predetermined by Zeus. And so whatever happens, like Zeus already basically decided on it for you. And then when it got over to the Roman side of things, they were like, nah, man. And they decided that that was not going to be a thing anymore. And so it became non-predetermined. Like you essentially had things that you could control in your life and then there were many things that you could not control but it wasn't necessarily like predetermined by a figure in the sky for example 
it's interesting and just reminds me about the way of like a lot of religions go as well. And I'm sure this applies to philosophy, where to a certain extent, there's like the core idea or tenet of the religion or the philosophy, but they also lived within a society that had certain beliefs. Like some people mm-hmm. say this about Buddhism, like the fact that reincarnation and Buddhism kind of go together. Some people argue had nothing to do with like actually what Siddhartha was coming to teach. He just already lived in a society that believed in reincarnation. So like that wasn't part of his thing. That's just kind of what they already had. And that the yeah. Buddhism was the other parts of it. Anyway, it reminds me of that, like that the predeterminism was maybe just sort of part of their culture at the time and didn't come along with Stoicism. It already existed. Exactly. So, I think along with that, though, that predeterminism idea is that some people will argue that Stoicism is essentially just telling us that we can't do anything, and so we just need to, like, learn to accept hardship and challenges and not do anything and just, like, stop complaining. You know, and that's kind of where it can get challenging, especially when it's coming from people with a lot of privilege, kind of being like, yeah, just, like, toughen up, you know, be Stoic. Also, like, kind of our modern-day usage of Stoic, I think— fits this of just like take it and don't do anything to change your situation others argue that it's impossible for humans to separate emotions from rational thinking funny enough so did the original (laughs) philosophers who came up with this Hmm. but some people argue that that's unrealistic and unhealthy to try to do and i i would agree with that and we can talk about that in more nuance as we go on We have talked about this on the show before when we've discussed cognitive biases and anger and how our families of origin and our past mold our perceptions. And then we've also talked about feelings don't equal facts and that, you know, it's possible to kind of bring in some rational thought to it as well. But I do think it's worth kind of keeping that in mind, that that's a a valid criticism of if a modern day person takes these things and thinks it means don't make any decisions based on emotion, it should all be logic, that that's just not possible. And actually, in studies of people who have damage to parts of their brain that cause certain emotional reactions, they actually find instead of becoming better decision makers, they become almost incapable of making any decisions at all. So Mm -hmm. it's like our emotions are intrinsically tied to our ability to make decisions as humans. And so caveat there, like we're not saying you should try to get rid of that. Yeah. And I think the seed of this, of when you take principles of stoicism and boil them down and oversimplify them to mean, oh, just be rational, don't feel any emotion, you know, just be logical, don't ever be upset, that then that morphs into some really unhealthy and not good places. Like, for instance, you know, I think there's just long, long, long lineage of if we paint women as emotional and men as rational, and we naturally think that, oh, rational means better decision-making and just better thinking, and emotional is bad, then there's misogyny. Or same thing, like, if we paint non-white people as being more emotional and out of control, and white people or white thinkers as being more rational, then that also supports that kind of racism and bias. And so, of course, it's kind of like taking the seed of this very oversimplified thing and not accepting this idea that we can feel both these things at the same time. We can both lean on our rationality and lean on our emotions. That That's when we start to get into some really bad territory. Yeah, I think that's a challenge sometimes with philosophy in general. It's like these very large concepts that can be kind of like extrapolated out in maybe not great ways sometimes. And so it is that question of like, let's try to 
take the middle path, as the Buddhists would say. <laughs> yeah, and one of the main tenets of Stoicism, like one of the very first things that it talks about is to focus on the things that you can control and ignore the rest. But there's this big argument against Stoic teachings that humans really should care about some external events that are happening to them and to other people in the world. And modern Stoic teachers do argue that the old Stoics didn't didn't want us to just be like super indifferent to everything else that was happening in the world. But this point, again, just sometimes gets muddied and it's not necessarily super clear in these Stoic teachings. So... That's another thing that people have to grapple with and that might cause them to be like, yeah, this is BS. Okay, so now that we've gotten the caveat section out of the way, we are going to talk a little bit more about Stoicism and how you can kind of take some of the teachings and practically apply them to your daily life and to your relationships, but... First, we want to take a moment to talk about some ways that you can support our show if it has brought you some value and if you want to help us continue to bring it to the masses for free. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. So how does this actually apply to your life in a way that's helpful to you and to the people around you and not just problematic and encouraging us all to tamp down our emotions? So of course, one of the quote-unquote goals of Stoicism, if we can even label it as a goal, is to you know, achieve this almost a state of enlightened indifference to the things that are out of our control specifically. And to actually get there requires serious examination of yourself, of your coded response patterns, examination of the world at large, which is something that all of us 
I hope at this point are quite comfortable doing, especially if we're non-monogamous folk and have had to do a lot of deconstruction <laughs> of what makes us tick and the messages that we've got and how we want to be different. So this is why, at least for the ancients, philosophy was this way of life for the Stoics, not just kind of an intellectual hypothetical exercise completely detached from reality, you know? And same thing with things like mindfulness and meditation. The ideal state is not, you know, we sit on the mat and it's just great to have this little exercise and then we go back to our normal lives and none of it applies. Ideally, it's something that carries into our regular lives for our own well-being and for the well-being of others. So, I have a quote here from John M. Cooper, who is the professor of philosophy at Princeton University. And this is from his book, Pursuits of Wisdom. Quote, For the Stoics, human happiness consists in living virtuously and therefore in living in agreement both with ourselves, in our undivided thoughts about ourselves, our actions, and our way of life, and with Zeus's or nature's own thoughts about our individual actions and our overall way of life. Close quote. In that sense, you know, Stoicism is about coming to a place of wanting what it is that you get rather than trying to force or impose your desires to bend or shape reality in order to change it to match your desires. So, as we discussed in the caveat section before the break, people often misinterpret the Stoics and assume that like it's expecting us to just completely give up our human nature, reject all emotion, don't even have them. But again, this is a quote from Professor Cooper, and he says, quote, "...but the Stoics hold and argue with considerable plausibility that there is nothing permanent or belonging to human nature itself in any of this, however widespread it is in the lives of all ordinary people, ourselves included." Once one understands how these sorts of feelings and motivations are based on distorted and false value judgments, they reasonably think one should and can come to see them not as enlivening or enriching in a properly human way, a life otherwise thinly rational and even automaton-like, but as serious obstacles to a truly full, specifically human life. End quote. That really read like a philosopher's quote, meaning it's like super long <laughs> it and hard to follow and, and challenging. <laughs> you know, but but essentially we're talking about this idea that it's not about getting rid of those things and just living life as this unaffected robot, but instead understanding that some of these obsessions and like things that we really seek after or stress about that we're kind of I would I would argue almost taught to perceive as enlivening our lives or enriching our lives may actually be hurting us more than they're helping us and that there could be a lot of joy to be had and less suffering to be had if we're able to let go of some of those and and kind of loosen up our attachment to them or our grip on some of these specific types of accomplishments and things. A little bit ironic that like the entrepreneur cultures kind of grasped I this agree. because that's so much about always wanting, always needing, always striving. So Yeah, hmm. I, I found What do you think that is? Yeah. From yeah, it was another philosophy professor who was saying that yeah, like I don't know if this is actually a really good practice of stoicism because if you were truly incorporating stoicism, you'd be much more willing to give up the rich lifestyle, the entrepreneur lifestyle, the getting more and getting more and growing more and growing more that that's kind of 
ironic and at odds at maybe what the philosophy is actually really about. Yeah, something to think about there. They they love it though. I hear it on all of the big like <laughs> entrepreneurial podcasts for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay, so now, finally, we have reached the point where we're going to talk about a couple actionable tools. And again, it's philosophy, so it's like sometimes a little challenging to know what sort of actionable tools you can take from all of this. But if you've been interested or if, you know, this has piqued your interest a bit hearing about Stoicism, then maybe consider reading some of the books on the subject I'm reading The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. I also have a cool journal as well that kind of is a companion journal to The Daily Stoic. Uh, You also could go straight to one of the earliest sources of Stoicism and check out Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. That's another option. Uh, I do want to talk about the journal a bit because it is sort of a big thing in Stoicism that you are, as Ryan Holiday puts it, preparing for the day ahead and then reflecting on the day that has passed. So my little companion journal to the Daily Stoic is I read my passage from the Stoic philosopher, and it's like one little teaching a day. It's cool. It's for like all 365 days. And then you go to the journal, and you write about that passage with a prompt in the morning, And then in the evening, you go back after your day is finished and you do some reflection and you write a little bit more about it. And it's been great. I've really enjoyed doing it. I've done it for a couple of weeks now. And it's just like a nice way for me to open and close my day and to like take some time for myself and create this new habit of like stopping for a minute and just like having some reflection period I know I sometimes like shit on journaling exercises on the show or make fun of them. I uh, you don't you don't shit on them directly on the show, but, that's but true. like After what the, the listeners fact. can't see is like maybe there's a little bit of an eye roll, perhaps. Well, I just never was like super into journaling, but we're about to write a book, and I've wanted to like it flex those writing muscles a bit in a different way, and so this has been like a really nice a nice way to just reflect. So. Think about that. That's something that you could perhaps do. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm always the one who's saying, do journaling. Oh, you'd love, love it. it. Yeah, Jace, yeah. everyone, everyone knows. <laughs> Journal and Jace. Yep. Very pro, very pro journaling. <laughs> love it. Yeah, pro journaling. If there's one thing people know about Jace is he loves journaling. Okay. So much mm-hmm. like taking any kind of ritual or philosophy or something and applying it into your life, it takes some practice, right? Things like meditation or yoga or, you know, music therapy or journaling or any of these, like they take some practice to really start getting implemented into your daily life. When you're in the heat of being upset about something or being stressed about something or being worried or, you know, grasping really strongly at like, oh, if I just had this thing, then I could be happy. Like when you're caught in the middle of that, learning to step out of it takes practice, And so this is an exercise that Emily put together based on some explanations of the view from above from orionphilosophy.com and kind of combined some of those things with other stuff that she's been reading. And I'm going to, I'm going to take you through this little exercise here. So next time something challenging happens in your relationship, you know, we'll put it in the context of relationship, but really it could be anything. Take 10 seconds to breathe and calm your mind and body. 
if you find that you're still in the same emotional state, go do something away from your partner for 10 to 15 minutes or away from the stimulus for 10 to 15 minutes or however long the next part of the exercise takes. So during that time, take time to reflect on the bigger picture. Think about what your partner is also going through at this moment. What did their day look like today? Did they seem distracted or in a huff when they got home from work? And then go even further away from the present moment. What has been happening recently in both of your lives? What outside distractions or challenges might be weighing heavily on both of you? And then zoom out even further. What's the current state of the world? How has that affected your mood and your overall well-being? How might it be affecting theirs or other people's? And then go even further out than that, beyond the state of the world or what's been happening recently, and think about your whole life and all the things that have brought you to this exact moment, all the things that you've been through, all the things that you've learned. Think about the biases and triggers and values that you have because of everything you've been through. And now think about your partner and use what you know about them and their history to reflect on their life and their experiences, their biases, their triggers, their values. And then finally, circle back and realize that these emotions and intense feelings that you were feeling when you started this represent only this tiny moment in time for each of you. And then with this in mind, try to go back to your partner and hopefully with some compassion and some sympathy for them and what they're going through. And hopefully that starts you on that path to finding a more constructive solution together. Well, I'm glad we're recording this because I want to take that little segment that Jace just whipped out and just have it on repeat for myself when I'm going oh, through tough stuff. Put a little background music under it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Some nice calming music, especially if I'm getting into a fight with you, Jace, specifically. It might be nice. <laughs> just like I don't his know if voice I should be the one telling to you. you through that. Yeah. <laughs> now, now step back and think about your partner. Exactly. Now step the fuck back and <laughs> yeah. think about your partner in this situation, Dedeker. Uh, exactly. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll record like a custom yeah. version for you special version you know, for me yeah. <laughs> i love it yeah <laughs> so no, but- we're gonna we're gonna close out this section with this quote from the ancient greek stoic epictetus it's quite pithy quote right from the start get into the habit of saying to every harsh appearance you are an appearance and not the only way of seeing the thing that appears then examine it and test it by the yardsticks you have end quote which is nice. Just a nice little reminder to kind of zoom back and take some perspective. Yeah. I yeah. love that. The idea yeah. that just because something appears one way doesn't mean it is that way. And to kind of, yeah. I also really like that test it by the yardsticks you have. It's almost kind of acknowledging you can't ever perfectly know any person or thing or situation, but just do the best with whatever yardsticks you have. So, in conclusion, some things to Hold in your heart and remember. First one, our favorite one. Don't weaponize this shit. Yay. (laughs) Don't do it. You know, resist the urge to just try to like, quote unquote, like zen your way or stoic your way out of every emotion or every challenging feeling. Don't use the principles of stoicism to clobber your partners if they're having difficult feelings or having a difficult time. Just don't do it. The whole point of this is for well-being and compassion and the well-being of others as well. So don't use it as a weapon, please. 
Yeah, and this, just like so many things that we talk about on the show, like meditation, like any of the tools that we give you, it might be another great way to help us get out of our own heads and instead point us in this different direction away from, you know, our own minutiae and our own like anger and sadness and frustration and maybe put us on the path and in the direction of some understanding and compassion and empathy for others. And so, yeah, I mean, these teachings, they can be applied to yourself personally, they can be applied to your romantic relationships, they can be applied to the relationships that you have with your parents and friends. I, you know, we're just like sort of trying to get get along and get by every single day. And the thing that I love about the Stoic teachings also is that it it shows us like we're not that different from one another. We have similar challenges that we face. We have similar ideas and hopes and dreams and fears and stuff like that. And so ultimately, this teaching can kind of help show us that we're not that different from one another. And with that broader perspective and an open mind, we can cultivate compassion and understanding for others, either others who are distant from us, like a stranger, or others who are close to us, like a partner or a family member, we can practice letting go and not allowing the little things to get us down. Yeah. So, we hope that you liked our 100 course on stoicism, not even 101, (laughs) it was just 100. But yeah, like, again, as always, feel free to take what you like and leave the rest, because the Stoics would be super cool with it. They're like, whatever, everything's fleeting. I'm Marcus Aurelius, played by Richard Harris in the film Gladiator, (laughs) and I say, that's true. Take what you want. Leave the rest. It's cool. I promise. Richard Harris is in the room. My gosh. It's amazing. (laughs) Back from the dead, from the dead, Exactly. Marcus Aurelius himself. I love it. (laughs) All righty. So we hope that you will join us for our bonus episode. Those of you out there who are patrons or if you want to become a patron, we are going to talk about interesting findings on stoic research because a lot of it was like really positive towards stoicism but it was fascinating to look at and so we want to talk about it more on our bonus episode and our call to action question this week which is going to be on our social media pages is what would your life look like if you were able to zoom out and regularly view relationship problems from thirty thousand feet something to think about there The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our research assistant for this episode is Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. 